0: Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Ether is the perfect drug for Las Vegas. In this town, they love a drunk. Fresh meat. Come on, buddy. So they put us through the turnstiles and turned us loose inside. This week's episode is sponsored by Trail of Bits. They've put out a static analyzer called Slither, and it lets you check your solidity code for known vulnerabilities, and you could even integrate it into your truffle build process. Last year, we saw Ethereum smart contract hacking competitions at DEF CON and other capture-the-flag events. The popularity of Ethereum has created the economic incentive to attack any contract with value attached to it. And while the network has remained resilient, there have been too many tragic stories of lost or stolen funds. Using and contributing to an open-source project like Slither will cement these lessons learned into code and prevent them from happening again. Um, To learn more, check the show notes for a link. Now, on with our show. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Dose of Ether. This week, we are here with Nick Fett. We're doing a cross-episode with uh, his podcast as well. So, Nick, would you like to introduce yourself? And... uh, Tell us a bit
1: about what you're doing and about your podcast as well. Uh, Sure. So I'm Nick Kvet. I run uh, Daxia. We're a protocol for decentralized derivatives. Um, So basically for the last two years, we've been building out derivatives products on top of Ethereum. And we also have a podcast in the space where we uh, interview other people just in kind of finance, the regulatory space and... uh, we actually reached out to Lucian to be on our podcast, but he he got us on his first. So. I flipped the script. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so we're gonna link um, a to the YouTube channel of your podcast. It's called uh, Daxia. The Daxia podcast. The Daxia podcast. It's, uh, yeah,
1: podcast. A really okay. innovative name.
0: Yeah, and. Um, I think the type of guests that you have are actually very different than uh, normal shows. But then again, your background is also very different. Um, I get the feeling that blockchain space is mostly developers who think they're economists. And um, I feel like you actually are the opposite. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, yeah. So tell us a bit about your background. and.
1: Yeah, so I guess I'm an economist who thinks I'm a developer. Um, So I actually came from, I I got my master's in economics from Johns Hopkins, went to work for the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and then moved on to the CFTC as an economist there. So the CFTC is the uh, federal regulator for derivatives and cryptocurrency. Uh, So I was there for a while, um, basically just looking over high-frequency trading data and then I also got a chance to be on the blockchain working group there, so you know we would meet up with other industry participants, talk about you know what what's going on in the financial world with blockchain and acceptance, and it was it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, um, so you're a self-taught programmer who learned uh, programming while you were at the CFTC,
1: <laughs> right? I, so sort of at the CFTC and you know in, in the government in general. So I I started my first programming language was SAS. Um, And then I moved on to to Python to do more data analysis. And then really the first uh, thing I did in crypto was build some bot trading programs. A while nice. ago and then were they profitable <laughs> <laughs> they were profitable so this was back in like 2014 2015 nice arbitrage frame. opportunities of course. it was huge. yeah i mean you you could just go on like btce and do you know just basic market making and you could make you know 50 to 100 bucks a day with an automated python program and then probably like in later 2015 2016 you you started to see um just the pros sort of get into the space and start eating up a lot of your profit opportunities. Yeah. Um, and especially whenever, you know, volatility picks up, it would kill a lot of your gains, but it, it was fun. And I learned a lot doing it. Um, that's awesome. And don't,
0: uh, <laughs> don't take in the fact that, like I say, you're pretending to uh, be a programmer. In fact, like you're, we worked together on a uh, couple hackathons and you crushed it. So, um, I think a lot of people in the blockchain space are um, self-taught programmers. And um, did you become interested in programming because of
1: blockchain? Uh, Probably not. Uh, So, you know, I started doing Python programming before. Um, But, you know, I think everyone in the blockchain space is, especially on Ethereum, because you have Solidity, which you're a self-taught solidity programmer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone definitely. has to be self-taught solidity programmer. Um, right. Which is great, you know, and, and that was once, once you sort of saw, I was actually, when I was at the CFTC, I was looking for ways to sort of what platform I could start developing on. Um, so you, you know, I was looking at originally I looked at like Quorum was very new at the time. Hyperledger was very new. Um, and Ethereum was also new, but it was, even back then was just so much more advanced and easy to program on top of. Um, And that was, I think a lot of people in the space have sort of realized the same thing and that's why they ultimately go the Ethereum route. It's just like, listen, I want to build a derivatives contract. What should I build it on? And you look at all the platforms, you're like... Well, I sort of wanted it decentralized. What's the easiest thing I can build it on? Well, Ethereum. And that was, right. you know, I, everyone quickly comes to that conclusion. Right.
0: The developer community is kind of self-perpetuating in this sense. Yes. Um, you go to Ethereum because other developers are in Ethereum. And it's also why um, a lot of new projects did really well. And even if they're building something that could be viewed as a competitor to Ethereum, it's um, still deeply tied to the Ethereum community because that's where the developers are.
1: Yeah, you're just n- you know I don't see any of these other platforms really being able to take over that from Ethereum. It's you know like how do you get all of the developers to switch at one point? You know like every- spend
0: years to train them all. Yeah, okay. or you pay them to switch. Which some companies have tried to do.
1: I don't think that's sustainable
0: or successful. It's a terrible use of money. (laughs) Like like any company that has to pay developers to learn their software is going to be at a competitive disadvantage to the one where uh, developers learn it on their free time. um, In order to be able to use the technology because that's the industry standard.
1: So, yeah, you know, I, I completely agree. And, you know, developers, especially in the blockchain crypto space and the ones that are sort of teaching themselves, like, they do care a little bit about decentralization and about sort of the integrity of the whole project and, and being paid to go build on some other platform. Like, yeah, I mean, if you pay me a million dollars to go build on EOS, like, we're, we're going to go right. build on EOS. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, like, how sustainable is that? Because as soon as the money dries up, then you sort of look for something else. Right.
0: Yeah, that's true, and um, I mean they did raise a lot of money though. <laughs> it's that's a long runway. That's more than a runway. That's an aircraft carrier. Um.
1: Yeah, you, you you can pay a lot of developers to go over there. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's really interesting because you know, it's Ethereum just has such a long run. You know, all the tooling sets are built out. So you know, like, oh, yeah. and that that's what you need. So like. I'm building a derivatives platform, but what do I need? I need an IDE to develop my smart contracts in. I need, you know, some support from running a node. So, you know, Infura has has all of that built out. I also need even just the little tricks and solidity. So, you know, all of the smart contract languages have their little nuances and Just the fact that people have figured out a lot of them already in Solidity is amazing. So almost anything that you do, somebody else has already done. So you can just go copy their code and it makes it so much easier to develop what you're trying to build.
0: Right. And um, being able to leverage other people's libraries is um, self-perpetuating. Because if you don't have to reinvent everything that you do... Then you basically get to build off of already tested, already secured, um, preferably things that are um, formally validated or at least have gone through uh, code reviews. And um,
1: And this isn't to let Solidity off the hook. You guys, uh, if you're listening, you you still need to get better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're definitely working on it. I mean, they
0: have to change, they're in the process of changing the entire EVM. So it's yeah. like the the programming language that w- runs on top of it is just another thing that needs to be changed as well.
1: Well, you know, it was like we were writing some smart contracts now for our Oracle solution. And, you know, we we had to do the upgrade to Solidity 5.0 and. Um, and it just like breaks all your contracts for two reasons. Everything, yeah. You know,
0: and some of them for the silliest reasons, right? Yep. Like um, basically name changes, uh, forcing um, specific things to be explicitly stated before when it was implicitly stated. And yeah, it. Causes you to rewrite everything I'm actually used to um, Not really being able to reference Any of my old work in Ethereum (laughs) Because when I'm building something Usually it's like in a short iterative Sprint and I would just do Like a code freeze to get it working And then when I build a new Project which is sometimes Three maybe six months later um, Everything's
1: outdated (laughs) Yeah
0: I actually have to start over
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah No, it's, it's, It's frustrating but you know that would be like the one thing of hope for maybe other projects is mm-hmm. you know well since Solidity does keep rewriting itself and now they have Viper that maybe they're gonna push us all to learn maybe next I don't know <laughs> um.
0: yeah there's um, so tell us more like what is an Oracle contract why was it uh, integral to what you're doing but first let's get into what you wanted to do like what was your vision and. Uh, sure. why didn 't you become a high frequency trader yourself like everyone else who leaves the CFTC <laughs> um,
1: No so you know the, we you had a lot of people come into the CFTC who would prevent present derivatives on a blockchain so this was you know you can think of r three or whether it's JP Morgan or axony you know they all have cool platforms they 're all these centralized platforms for derivatives were. You know, you still have one person holding the money like CME, and now we're just going to put all the back-end debt processing onto a blockchain. And that that's great. Um, you know, yay, yeah, you're, you're no longer using paper. Um, but then at the same time, it, like, it just fails to, you know, live up to the promise of what blockchain can be. Whenever you actually look at Ethereum and, and what it can do, you can get rid of all of those middlemen completely. So like, why weren't we building out those things and talking about what those could be? Uh, So then I just started building that out on my own, like, while I was there. Um, And that that was sort of what led me down the rabbit hole of, okay, well, let's, you know, like, what can derivatives actually enable on these platforms? And um, I think what you're starting to see now is that people are starting to understand that derivatives are really kind of the back end of financial infrastructure. So, you know, one of the biggest projects probably of the last year has been the DAI stablecoin, Um, stable coins or you know one (laughs) dollar tokens uh if they work if they work but that's (laughs) it's basically they've been working so (laughs) it's basically a short eth us dollar it's a perpetual derivatives contract and how to create that uh you know there's good ways and bad ways but it's a derivatives contract if you think about okay well how are we going to make decentralized etfs everything uh, will you look at what are a lot of ETFs backed with in the normal financial world? Well, they're backed with derivatives products, so we need derivatives products. Um, and then the big thing that we've started to build out are, we call them long and short tokens. So long and short tokens, uh, if you know right now, if you wanted to trade Bitcoin, you would have to go to a centralized exchange for the most part because you can't trade Bitcoin on top of Ethereum. The blockchains just don't talk to each other. Uh, but I don't think a lot of people necessarily care if they're actually trading Bitcoin. They want to trade the price of Bitcoin, which you can do with a derivative. So you can you know, basically have a contract for difference where you have, you, know, you can go long Bitcoin or short Bitcoin, and then you tokenize those positions, and now you have a long Bitcoin token and a short Bitcoin token. Or you know, you, you can obviously do it for any cryptocurrency asset, so whether it's Ripple, whether it's EOS... So now all of those DEXs that were created over the past year and a half on Ethereum, now you can start trading actually interesting tokens like Bitcoin or short Bitcoin, or you, know, you can have like 10x the price of Bitcoin on a token. Um, and then it even farther enabled things like you know, S&P 500 tokens, Apple tokens. And that's really where I see the space going probably over the next year. Um, you know, over the past year, it was just trying to Trying to get the basics of die and, you know, the stable coin down, but that's just a short ETH US dollar token. What about all of the other derivative tokens that build have been built out?
0: Right. And I mean currently there's like one centralized exchange where you can uh trade derivatives tokens bitmex mostly and that's to get leveraged positions uh, well it's it's on, not really
1: tokens it's just derivatives yeah, contracts it, it's um, just a representation of
0: value yeah. that's managed on a centralized exchange yeah. and there's no good uh, equivalent in
1: a decentralized
0: exchange that represents those products
1: yeah right? and i mean bitmex is bitmex is great <laughs> uh, i love bitmex the but you know the the truth of the matter is is that for us customers Bitmax is illegal um, for probably more than just U.S. customers, and um, <laughs> you know, there, there's also, you know, we don't even have to get into the whole problems with centralized exchanges and the reasons you want to use dexes. But you know, I think we we were just talking about this before the podcast. You know, some of the whole reasons for a lot of these c- cryptocurrency products is going to be sort of this regulatory arbitrage at the beginning. So, you know, like what products can you build that actually make sense that you need to do in a decentralized way because doing it in a legal or regulated way is too costly or something to that effect. Right. And so um, basically the the duality that
0: I presented is do you look at blockchain as something that enables... Um, activity that would be prevented by regulation to be done by a centralized company Um, and a very good example of this is um, BitTorrent and the article that uh, one of the developers of BitTorrent put out that we'll link in the show notes and uh, his argument was that it's an enabling technology that allows you to do financial transactions in a way that you don't have to be regulatorily compliant. And um, then there's this other school of thought that I would uh, I, I would credit 0x and um, Overstock for uh, bringing to light. And it's the fact that uh, tokenization and cryptographically enabled rule uh, smart contracts Um, permit rules to be set, like disallowing naked short-selling. Naked short-selling is the process by which you can actually borrow um, a stock, or a token in this case, without actually finding someone to borrow it from. So you literally mint it out of the ether and you say you borrowed it, but you literally created a uh, a derivative without any of the underlying asset backing it, which means you essentially increase the supply of it um, illegally. There is a regulatory loophole that makes this legal, but the idea is that if something's legal, that doesn't necessarily mean it's right. And that's one of the things that you can do with smart contracts specifically. You can have rules that make uh certain processes like this impossible yeah
1: but you know i would push back and say like europe made short selling illegal you know like if if you're in a regulated world like that you know which i think t0 and a lot of these platforms are you know underneath a regulated world you you can do that without a blockchain you can do it on paper um you know, you you centrally manage everything. Like, just tell people or all of your users that you can't naked short sell. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, yes, but we can also tell
0: uh, Goldman Sachs that they can't naked short sell. And... I mean, we're living in a time in which we're ruled by lawyers, not ruled by law. Yeah, you know, that's a that's quite a distinction. So one of the aspects that could be brought about is if we have um, coded rules by which financial systems operate, it does level the playing field in the sense that code is law, not lawyers are law. And if you can't afford a legal defense to fight Goldman Sachs in an right. exploitative case because they sold you like a timber wolf or some horrible, like. Uh, derivatives product, I think Timberwolf was uh, a specific stock that they unloaded on unwitting um, investors. But anyways, the idea being that there are certain types of crimes that are done by large financial institutions that could be made difficult or impossible if the rules of operation were coded and agreed upon. Um, Definitely. But I think we're both in the camp that blockchain is meant for censorship resistance. Exactly. You know,
1: right. I, I think the big pieces that you're going to look at are, okay, where, where is it, you know, regulatory impossible or the cl- compliance costs are too high to make this a thing? Right. Then, Then you're going to sort of see it move to the blockchain successfully. So, you know, obviously Bitcoin is the greatest example where you know okay well how do we get around capital controls of a country or you know how do we you know prevent people from coming and stealing our bank accounts well that's censorship resistance right there so that's what you need and, you know i think even like ethereum's general use cases you know you want things that are hard to do so you know with derivatives is, is what i do and derivatives right now is very expensive to go start a new derivatives exchange or derivatives contracts. Um, You know, we have Bitcoin contracts, but that's a five Bitcoin contract at CME. It's just for very large players. Uh, How can we sort of bring the rest of the world, you know, the people that might need to hedge risk on, you know, one little EOS token or something like that, if they wanted to hedge risk for a few days, can you do that legally? And the answer is, it's like, well, it's sort of Harry here in the US, whether or not you can do that, um, they haven't really given too much guidance, but, you know, creating products that you can do that with, without having to go through that, you know, gargantuan three year or whatever regulatory process is just going to be huge moving forward. So
0: to um, summarize, basically, you can use blockchain to make it affordable to create financial products that previously would only be available for extremely wealthy, well-connected uh, individuals through over-the-counter trading desks at large investment banks or large uh, um, clearinghouses or brokerage firms. and. You're saying that since we can actually code smart contracts and uh, a decentralized exchange for trading these, then we can actually have peer to peer matching. Um, and yeah. Does the transparency and the price discovery mechanism that is provided by this um, become a draw for customers, or does it become a disadvantage for the people providing these services? For example, uh, the reason so many derivatives are over-the-counter is because they hide uh, fees and complexity. Yep. So basically, like, the best example, the government of Greece basically bought some derivative products that blew up in their face and basically bankrupted their country. <laughs> you can't do that <laughs> if you do sure. this in a more transparent peer-to-peer, like... It's no
1: longer over the counter. It's like now a prescription drug. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, soon we'll have the private uh, derivatives contracts that you can do, and those will be more fun. Uh, okay. <laughs> for for keeping you know people honest, but no, I completely agree. And it's not to say that this is going to be the way that it always is going to stay. You know, I think, you know, I, I think there's sort of a mistake with a lot of the companies trying to do derivatives products, and and you sort of try and go after the big. Banks right away and try and get them on your platform because they're they're still in control there, you know the, you know in the, in the traditional swaps market I, th- I did the reports, like five percent of or five companies are about ninety percent of all swaps yeah like they're they're a party in ninety percent of all swaps it's just those are the five big banks that do swaps and they and this became worse after the financial crisis yeah.
0: because the implicit nature of too big to fail meant that they were the only ones who could afford insurance.
1: Yeah, it, it it was. it's just sort of not the way that things should work. And they have sort of monopoly on the pricing of all of these instruments. And, and how do you sort of get around that, you know, some, some of the platform, some of the, maybe the people going after like a swaps platform on the blockchain or something mm-hmm. like that, you basically, if you want the swaps market, you have to get these five people onto <laughs> your platform. Um, but that's not the way that, you know, I see it really moving because they, they like their current platform. And yeah,
0: there's no, there's no deal that you can give them that's better than what they already have. Yeah,
1: and I mean, even if they do move over to your platform, they're going to make sure that they keep, like, you know, the pieces that they like. JP Morgan um, coin. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, so you're going to have to sort of do, do it from the grassroots level. Um, you know, and what the market is is sort of still going of being discovered as far as you know smaller derivatives contracts but that's going to be where it goes and i think if that market is successful then maybe you'll see some change in attitude from them Mm -hmm. um you know for instance i the one thing i always like to talk about is like high frequency trading yeah um this was actually this came about basically over the last 20 years high frequency trading really just took off and it was, it was actually a shock because it wasn't the big banks who really took advantage of this. Right. You know, the, the, the big banks were the old market makers in the stocks and futures world. Right. And then you had these these new kids, these quants come on board mm-hmm. and they, they ran their own prop firms. Uh, and the big banks sort of lost out there. You know, they yeah. are no longer the market makers in mm-hmm. a lot of these stocks and, and futures contracts. But it wasn't you know you didn't like get big banks to use the technology you just sort of beat them at the game and provided better services and that that's where i think that you know the blockchain is going to do it is that you know once you start lower and you have better fees and things like that then you'll get people over to start using your derivatives contracts and then you'll get people to use blockchain i mean it's it's sort of what everyone says like people use blockchain when it actually makes sense to use blockchain right uh and and when that is is you know anyone's guess i guess yeah i um i always
0: viewed as blockchain as like a knee-jerk counter reaction especially like blockchain 2.0 post bitcoin because okay i think bitcoin is like hard money like the equivalent of a gold-backed inflexible currency with like tight uh, monetary regulation it's um, they call it like a monetary straitjacket basically but the introduction of smart contracts and being able to build financial products off of um, something like ethereum has created the financialization um, it's really strange to see the financialization of Ethereum because rather than having like a fractional reserve system, you have overcapitalization <laughs> of financial products, right? Like yeah, the yeah. best example being make or die, You have to have 150% um, asset to uh, loan coverage ratio, which is the actual opposite of financialization. But sure. it, to create a derivative product, you kind of have to go in the other direction right because you have to have less money down than the actual outstanding
1: value or is well, that you have like, to cap it you know there, there's really you know i like to say there's no such thing as a decentralized margin call <laughs> like okay. it's re- whenever you have anonymous parties which is sort of key in this whole thing it's really hard to to tell somebody listen you have to put more money into this contract or you could just liquidate them you can just liquidate them which it does <laughs> yeah so you, that the one option is you just liquidate them yeah uh the other option is you can sort of cap what we do is you just cap gains and losses okay so you know you can if if it's a one week long contract and right. you just cap it on 10 percent on both sides okay and then that's essentially a 10x contract okay um so you know you can have the, these different pieces and you know and that's it's sort of safer that way so you know that's what i've pushed back with some of the regulators on is like listen like there's no way for the, anyone to go bankrupt here. Like everybody knows the rules going in. Right. Like right. you're never required to put more money in. Cause that's what, you know, happened with a bunch of the derivatives contracts during the crisis is, right. Well, you know, they all blew up in their face and now AIG needs to pony up billions of dollars. And right. Well, right. we don't have it. <laughs> uh, going this back is... even further, long-term capital management. So the first
0: hedge fund that was started mm. by the people who basically wrote the book on uh, pricing of derivatives, um, at least the the Nobel Prize winners that were still alive, they literally incurred a trillion dollars worth of loss in, in 1999, 2000, 2001. Anyways, that time. It was way before the financial crisis, but literally one hedge fund incurred a loss of a trillion dollars because of how highly leveraged they were. <laughs> and, yep. and yeah that is impossible with blockchain because we don't trust people enough to make margin calls so like we would never actually lend someone more money than they already have um at risk and it is kind of different because it's kind of the opposite of
1: financialization right completely yeah no you know there's like some products it makes sense for and some products it doesn't but you know for the average person who's just trying to hedge some price risk like this is what makes sense like you you can you can fully collateralize things and it's it's almost a different product you know and that's kind of like I was saying with the regulatory regime I I think that you know the CFTC with derivatives you sort of need to separate out the two the two separate products like I think if you have a derivative that's fully collateralized and can literally never go bankrupt um that's a completely different product than a a swap with, you know, (laughs) just a tiny portion of it put up. And (laughs) and, because there's just completely different risk profiles, especially whenever you're looking at stress testing these things. Like the one, basically all you need to verify is that it's actually there and they're being honest, you know, like an anti-fraud sort of claim, whereas the other one, you really need to keep track of it on a day-to-day basis to make sure it's not going to blow up on the system. Right. So, yeah. you know, but right now they're regulated completely the same. So, like, if you know Ledger X, for instance, they do um, Bitcoin options and Bitcoin swaps, and but they they agreed that they all have to be fully collateralized. So they're fully okay. collateralized by by bitcoin there's there's no problem, but they're regulated the same way as you know goldman's interest rate swaps okay, and it's that must be yeah it, it's costly. sort of just it doesn't <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense you right. know like why you would have one co- one compliance cost structure for one thing right you know um
0: so there's the u s regulatory environment is kind of like a mess, Um, Mm -hmm. mainly because it used to be multiple agencies vying uh, for who gets oversight of this new emergent technology. Every regulator thought this was going to be the next high-frequency trading, and that they would be able to, like, go through a revolving door and get $10 million a year salaries for crypto companies the way they did for Citadel or the like. But it's kind of not. (laughs) It's kind of not in the sense that um, the approach that blockchain companies have taken hasn't been to attempt regulatory capture, right? And the lobbying efforts of blockchain companies has been... um, I mean, led by nonprofits more than more than very rich uh, companies. Um, kind of interesting, a little different. But um, why has the CFTC be been the most open-minded of the potential regulators?
1: Well, I, I think the regulators, you know, as far as identifying where they fit, is sort of okay. You know, like you sort of have because identifying that okay some things can be a security and they would be sec and some things can be a derivative and or they're a commodity and they're regulated by the cftc like i think that's probably okay um you know it it sort of makes Mm -hmm. sense at the the current moment you know the cftc where would something like ethereum fall so i think the sec just said yesterday or whatever it's uh definitely not a security okay great so i they, was scared well no so they you know and that's that's really the weird thing so right. they said like it was a security when it was issued but now it's sufficiently right. decentralized and right. which begs the question what the hell does sufficient decentralization mean <laughs> good um, luck coming up with a metric for it <laughs> well you know and then anytime you come up with a metric that's going to be gamed oh, like, of course you right. know so yeah i It's really hard to know what decentralization means. And, you know, same with, like, uh, a derivatives contract. Like, okay, so let's say you have a decentralized exchange who lists derivatives contracts. Um, Originally, they might have to go register at the CFTC as a derivatives exchange, but can they be sufficiently decentralized? (laughs) So that way they're no longer a derivatives exchange? Like, can just a security be? I don't know. Can exchanges be... sufficient you know can you have a broker that's sufficiently decentralized so they don't have to go through a broker dealer license yeah i don't know like what aspects of the law can be sufficiently decentralized that you can ignore it but (laughs) um so that's it's kind of an interesting cutoff point of where something
0: is sufficiently decentralized to no longer be uh regulated by the sec so Basically, a cryptocurrency in today's world wants to be regulated by the CFTC specifically,
1: which may or may not
0: be right. But yeah, uh, well, because you're Out of, commodity, it's like the it's yeah. the best worst option.
1: Yeah, so then you would be a commodity if you're regulated by the CFTC, right? Um, and yeah, so that they like that, which is good. But you know, that's and the CFTC. To be honest, I, I like the SEC and the CFTC so far. And the fact that they've really gone after a lot of just fraud cases, yeah. the CFTC especially. You know, They haven't really sort of taken aim at any of the people doing illegal things. They've just gone after, um, listen, if you're trying to steal from investors, we're going to go after you. Right.
0: And it, if you're running an obvious Ponzi scheme that you advertise uh, to the public um, as if it's a guaranteed return, then you're committing multiple felonies. Right. And I'm actually okay with the U.S. government finding and shutting some of these things down um i feel kind of bad for some of the people wrapped up in the crypto craze and they get stuck in like an obvious scam because traditionally like there are laws preventing securities from doing this exact same thing right like the obvious ones or the boiler room scams from the 1980s like if you're advertising uh, an ipo right there are very clear limits like you can't just be like have a hundred analysts that just blow up the phone in order to jack up the price while you sell all of your stock and then everyone realizes that it's an empty warehouse with nothing except the marketing budget that they paid for the analyst to to take the company public but I feel like that's Tron Um.
1: (laughs) (laughs) well yeah but you know at the same time like I I like that they haven't gone after a lot of them besides the fraud ones but then at the same point it's sort of like you know this has been like the The regulators' game for so long. It's the old cop game where, like, everything's illegal, we're just not going to go after you. Right. So, you know, like, it's sort of like, it sort of feels like it's this de minimis, almost regulatory approach where, listen, like, you guys can do almost whatever you want, just don't lie to people or steal people's money. And as long as you don't become really successful, we're not going to come after you. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Sounds like a terrible deal. (laughs) Well, right. You know, like, well, that it's. You it's, know, like, I like to point out, like, Augur, for instance. Augur is a prediction market, and, yeah. you know, it's... The U.S. actually has very strict laws on what can be a prediction market. You know, you have to go register with the CFTC. Yeah. Um, and they're not, um, and I think they know this. But, you know, it's it's sort of like the CFTC hasn't gone after them, and why not? I I don't know, but it's, it's probably one of those things, like, at this point, it could go either way. They, they might yeah. just go away on their own. That's true, uh, and yeah. then you don't have to sort of be anti-innovation or yeah whatever. So you, you I sort mean, of they locked themselves out of their own contracts. So even if
0: they do go after them, the contracts are live. The platform is live. The token holders are sufficiently distributed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you would hope that's what you don't know, and that's uh, it's a big question. And yeah. But yeah, like, you know, it, it sort but, of seems like we're not going to touch you or deal with it unless you actually start, you know, taking away from, yeah. you know, Goldman and CME's business, and then, we're gonna, <laughs> then right. we might go after you. Um, so we have this really
0: weird situation in which a regulator has to classify a prediction market, which is obviously a financial product, as a commodity, which... It's not. If it ever like it gets put in the situation in which it has to like make a decision, it's obviously going to lean very heavily on pre-existing regulation, and it's not going to go well. But um, at the same time, it could make exemptions, and yeah. that's the kind of weird place that crypto's in. Um, some countries have jumped ahead of the curve, and for example, Wyoming um, passed a legal definition for what a utility token is. Um, which is interesting, but at the same time, like, how much business are you doing in Wyoming? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's it's, far. It's, like, even if you are headquartered in Wyoming, that doesn't mean the CFTC doesn't have jurisdiction over you. That's like legalized marijuana in Colorado. It's like great, but yeah. Jeff Sessions is still <laughs> going to come after you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like those security definition isn't really set at the state level. I know, I so know. It's, it's, uh, it's good to have a set precedent. Um,
0: yeah. And, and, I mean, I guess we can use state regulations as a testing ground and um, have it. So there's uh, another state, I think North Dakota was trying to follow um, follow the exact same precedent. Um, which is really interesting, especially when you look at, like, the, the opinions, the legal opinions of some of the people pushing it. True. They were actually trying to stop naked short selling for yeah. crypto. <laughs> yeah, but, no, it's, it's, yeah.
1: I, I like all the efforts. Um, I think it's good, and I think a lot of the frameworks can be used for sort of the national level if it ever gets to that. But then, you know, I, I like Hester Pierce from the SEC. She's always really interesting because she's like, Listen, like, everyone calling for a new regulatory regime for crypto, like, be careful what you ask for. Right. Like, yeah. this... It could end up very, very bad. And right. that's, you know... Yeah. That's my biggest fear, because, you know, whatever... To be honest, like, I like that they don't have anything really specific, because... Right. To be... The number one thing they're probably going to push through right away is going to be KYC AML regulations. Oh, that'd be and horrible. It's going to be... It would kill the crypto space of most decentralization projects, but... You know, like, it's one of those things that most, you know, lawyers and congressmen, like, they wouldn't even argue with that. Right, like it wouldn't even be an issue. They would be like, "Why don't you want to do that?" But you know, it's like you have to report every bank transaction that's over three thousand dollars, (laughs) right? Exactly. Like if they said, like you know, all crypto to crypto transactions need to be KYC AML. It's like okay, it's besides the point, (laughs) right? Like this is we didn't want this. (laughs) Yeah, it's like congratulations,
0: we just basically implemented WeChat in crypto. You know, like because it's like you,
1: especially like whenever you talk about like okay, let's say. What are, the, what are some projects that may be security? So, so say like a 0x, for instance, like mm-hmm. they have a governance token. You know, like let's say there was this really lax framework of, you know, security. All you have to do is go register with the SEC, uh, but probably also in that you would probably have to go do KYC ML on everyone right. holding your token. Um, yeah. And Good then <laughs> that would kill the project. Or,
0: uh-huh. or they would do what they did in the beginning of the year and disallow American investors from every ICO. And then everyone has to use a VPN and tunnel into a different country and then keep doing crypto as usual, but pretend you're not in the United States. And that's kind of, I think, the real reason that uh, the hammer hasn't really gone down, because the United States knows what it would mean to kill an uh, early industry that could put them at a competitive disadvantage and they definitely know what it's like to be at a competitive disadvantage for financial products right like when uh england started deregulating their financial industry it basically created an arms race of who could have the most lax regulations unfortunately england has crown (laughs) Protectorates, the british virgin islands so they ended up winning and they're the reason that half of the world's uh, offshore wealth is in crown protectorates, but the United States definitely felt that kind of competition because it was essentially it essentially looked like capital flight away from the United States towards London, sure. and it started a wave of um, of deregulation as well. And I think that's kind of in the back of the minds of a lot of regulators. Um, but I've also wondered, like, what would happen if crypto was regulated, like? High frequency trading firms or hedge funds, right? Because there's no real argument that the United States right now is currently like hedge fund capital of the world and all high frequency trading firms are based out of the United States with minor exceptions, possibly in London, but they definitely have a U.S. office regardless
1: yeah well i think there's sort of separate issues you know you have like the cryptocurrency like bitcoin and then you have like the cryptocurrency companies say like a zero x or a maker you know they're they're really two different pieces in my mind but you know like i I don't think thinking about it from like let's try and capture cryptocurrency innovation because you know you don't want to be part of the arms race to lower regulations and uh things like that but it, it is just sort of Going back to, like, the crypto roots of libertarianism and things like that. You want to right. pick things that make sense. Like, yeah. you know, like, you should have a right to privacy in your money and transferring it. And right. I, I think there's probably a constitutional argument for that as well. So, you
0: know, that Zcash um, actually received a bit license from New York. Yeah. And that was one of the most... That was, like, the biggest sigh of relief that I've ever <laughs> made when it came to, like, the U.S.'s approach to regulation Um so the bit license is the most stringent uh, certification stringent requirement. meaningless certification <laughs> <laughs> a certifica- <laughs> It is a certification process that's formalized in the United yes. States, which makes it the most stringent because I think it's the only one <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is why most uh, ICOs currently don't let New York investors, like almost all ICOs just disallow anyone from New yeah. York. Um, mainly because they don't want to fall under the jurisdiction of the new york da because it just gives them broad powers to actually uh, crack down on icos and yeah they know how to prosecute financial crimes (laughs) and um the other aspect is that like you have uh countries that already have started competitively deregulating the crypto industry in order to try to attract talent i mean uh, I believe that, is it Cyprus where Binance moved to? Yeah. Yeah, Cyprus basically like rolled out the red carpet for Binance in order to, like, they're like, oh, do you want regulatory change? Oh, Do you want protection from the European Court of Justice? Oh, you want to be able for anyone in Europe to be able to transfer money to Binance without going
1: through Well, I mean, border? it's just quick, you know, I don't, <laughs> it's, it's just, if you're moving to a lot of these, like, some of the times it's good for protections because, but, you know, like, I really don't know how many honest projects have been taken down. It's maybe a I few, don't but I don't it's, either, yeah. you know, right now it's mainly just a lot of scams. And I think a sca- lot of blatant scams too. And the blatant yeah. scams are going to get weeded out. You know, people will lose money on them. And, you know, same with like, whether it's, you know, actually for the longest time in the U.S. history, options were banned because right. it was just you know you would have bucket shops from the old the old idea of bucket shops was you know you would have some option salesman who would walk around and sell you like listen like you know we'll sell you a short option on wheat and basically <laughs> you know if if you did great you never heard of the guy from again right, right you couldn't right, find right, him right. you know and so they just were banning options left and right because they thought it was just scams right um right. you know and and but it, it goes away you sort of figure out no like it makes sense as a financial product and we, right. we can eventually have it but it you know it, it took us a long time to get that right and right you know crypto might be the same way which i hope not but you know eventually we'll figure out a way like listen like anonymous transactions private transactions they do make sense this is how we c- can use them in our system um yeah because you know especially like i'm i'm sort of long crypto in the sense that i think you know the globe will slowly learn to adopt them as in for forms of like international payments and pieces like that, so whenever it's it's really being utilized actually you know now it's just sort of scams and speculations, but eventually we'll start to get some real use cases and then then they'll start changing their tone, yeah, so this is more philosophical, but sure. <laughs> um
0: if you're long uh crypto, does that mean you're short u s dollar? <laughs> Uh, probably not in the short term. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. No, I absolutely agree. And in the sense that like for crypto doesn't necessarily require the replacement of a uh, US dollar as a reserve currency in the world. It yeah, True. Right. Like there's many ways in which crypto can succeed without having to become the global reserve currency that right. many uh, hard money gold bug esque Type people claim it would be. Um, It could be a technology that gives people the ability to transfer value, um, even if that value is represented in anything besides the native token as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, and
1: and I've always said, like, the I, I don't think adoption is going to come from the U.S. It's going to come from some other country collapsing. Like right, you know, right. once you once you actually get a techno technologically savvy country that collapses, then you'll probably see more adoption of cryptocurrencies.
0: Right. So one of the first things that really turned me on to um, Bitcoin as a way to avoid financial regulation on a massive scale, um, I think it was the bail-in of Cyprus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of ironic that finances there now but <laughs> so uh, basically what happened was there was a freeze on all withdrawals from Cyprus banks because there were a bunch of oligarch funds. so they did the haircuts banks. on all the bank accounts yeah 20% was it it was like
1: basically exact yeah it was that. it was
0: basically like a substantial percentage of everyone's deposits in bank accounts above a certain amount uh, were actually taxed yeah instantly Right. And there was a massive flight to Bitcoin because Cyprus was Cyprus still using uh, it. It was a part of the euro. Anyways, the details are uh, it's been f- at yeah, least they, five they did years. Haircuts And I mean, you see. Yeah. And the, <laughs> it caused there's... a massive spike in the price of Bitcoin. And people were basically transferring their deposits in the country, right, where they were technically not able to withdraw it. And they were able to transfer it to Bitcoin and then they would transfer it out of the country that way. And it basically uh, created this entire, like, new world of possibility that you can literally cross national borders with Bitcoin. um, And it created, like, this flight to safety mentality of, like, what happens if a government becomes too intrusive into your financial dealings? What if um, it becomes very difficult to be able to deal within the local currency? Um, Can you just fly to crypto and then leave with your ledger and all of your <laughs> assets
1: um it's exciting i mean that's that's the the big use case for it and that's what's going to give it its value so right giving people ways to do that is going to be awesome wow.
0: ironically like haven't rich people always been able to do this <laughs> i mean we arguably were, yes we uh, were just talking about like tax havens yeah. Right, like Swiss bank accounts aren't—they aren't what they used to be, but they're still Swiss bank accounts, right? right? Yeah, you can think of Bitcoin
1: as like protecting the rich from the poor people, you know. Like, yeah, if it was you know like Russia back in the day, whenever you're beheading all of the oligarchs, now now they can go put their money in Bitcoin and flee the country. Yeah. Now the um, oligarchs have their own
0: crypto strategy because they yeah. if sanctions are literally targeting them personally. So now they view crypto as a way to uh, circumvent event, um, sanctions that are directly, I mean, they're shut out of Swift. Yeah. <laughs> so, they so literally sure. have to come up with their own payment system, and they're like, oh, damn cool. it, we're building tools for the oligarchs. <laughs> <laughs> the, the really funny thing, have you read, Crypto uh, Cryptonomicon? Yeah. So, um, he had this early email exchange with, uh, Pontific, like, before he actually knew the identity of, uh, of this old priest, and, oh, Um, basically like this guy was asking it's like why are you building this and he's like are you just creating like a safe haven for money launderers and criminals and like inadvertently yes (laughs) inadvertently yes but at the same time um there are other aspects and there's other ways to track down criminals than completely de-anonymizing transactions. Exactly. Right. And um, the perfect example for this is the fact that you now use Bitcoin to track down payments that were made by the Russian intelligence services to independent groups of hackers that broke into the Democratic National Committee's email servers. Sure. <laughs> so yes, that could be like a perfect example of the failure of the privacy of <laughs> cryptocurrency. But that's a perfect example that police work. Raw police work still works in identifying and prosecuting criminals, irregardless of the payment mechanism, right? Mm, <laughs> like, true. even if you couldn't follow the money all the way back to make that connection, which I, I mean, like, <laughs> the amount of infiltration that they've had to be basically de-anonymize those addresses to that extent is
1: worrying and deeply impressive at the same time <laughs> yeah i mean i don't like selling it though you know i don't like selling crypto ever as a way for like law enforcement can track us better <laughs> no no i <laughs> you mean know you like, wanted... we could just use wechat if we wanted that right yeah like, eventually we're gonna have you know fully anonymous crypto payments i um, agree i agree too
0: and um and i don't think the world is going to be any less safe as a direct result because right now people use cash right and i mean like I think um, the amount of criminal activity going on in finance, uh, financial institutions currently um, far outweighs the potential of criminal activity being conducted through blockchain. I think the amount of money that is illegally laundered per year well, far the outweighs said the total that market cap. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> not a secret. No, no, it's, it's <laughs> not a secret at all. Um, and the fact that we already, like, we treat crypto as like a special instance that because of the initial association, uh, with the criminal activity that was conducted in it. Um, but it has matured to the point in which not only is it, it has the ability to actually counteract some of the negative effects of existing financial systems.
1: Well, I mean, the biggest thing I love about crypto too, it's like a pro and a con is that it's really owned by the people in the purest sense right you know and the users um because even you know, the the one thing that i always like to to say like as my conspiracy theory with bitcoin is that we're 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 slowly getting them all, all the big banks to adopt it and then we're just going to fork all of their bitcoin away <laughs> you know cuz it bitcoin isn't this one thing so like gold you know in, in the cryptonomicon like right. they they would hoard the rich people would hoard this gold but then right. you, know, you had the, the one line with who goto dengo was saying like well, you it's know, dead the, money it's dead money the real wealth right. is in the people and the, the things that you're the creating process, yeah. yeah and you know in the same sense like crypto can be that like even if like one person would hoard all of the bitcoin like right if you really, if we all want to as a community, we can decide just to get rid of that person. I mean, doesn't uh, technically one person own half of all of
0: outstanding Bitcoin? I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> well, I think you, you have you have certain big parties in Bitcoin, but most of them are like it's either like Satoshi or known, uh, and it's like, well, we're fine with the Winklevoss brothers owning a lot. Or, you know. I'm
0: actually, I'm actually, I don't think that existing public cryptocurrencies are really the like decentralization of wealth. Um, I think the wealth is fairly concentrated within cryptocurrency holdings. I think the people who had cryptocurrency a long time ago are incredibly wealthy as a result of having brought new people and having convinced them to follow the same chain of custody that makes people buy in at a much more expensive price than they personally did. Um, I think that the underlying value of the crypto assets themselves so I I prefer the term crypto assets over cryptocurrency Um, I I don't know if you you I have no preference right because I think it's like yeah I mean I don't view crypto as an investment because an investment has an underlying implicit value in liquidation, right? So you, like, invest in something, right? Like a well, stock. You gotta, it's, it's Austrian economics, man. This is all subjective value. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, except the subjective value actually outweighs the current utility. So, in an essence, it's speculation. Um, sure. And not an investment. So, like... Um, And and I'm okay with that because the speculative investment actually creates new use cases and opens new uh, possibilities. And um, I think the most interesting is that it allows people to be financially independent to build software so that they could keep growing the ecosystem. And it's like open source with incentives rather than like the representation of gold in a vault. (laughs) Exactly. it's It's a bit of a different... Uh, kind of like philosophical perspective on it and honestly i doubt i'm right because well no like, I, I think it,
1: this was back to like what is the cryptocurrency you know whereas gold is this physical yeah. like, piece of metal or yeah you know dollars is faith in the u.s government and right you know crypto is actually just faith in that ecosystem yeah so you know like ether is faith in all of those developers and the philosophy, the kind of combined philosophy of everyone involved in that, right? And that's what sort of you know that's why it's important to be part of the crypto community that you're you're in, you know, and yeah, and to be honest, that's why I love forks too. Um, sure, you know, you have whenever you have, see a split in the community, it's actually a great thing because it's there was sort of a divide in in beliefs, and now you can just each start your own and see which one works. Right. Um, yeah, but no, the value is in the community. It's not in something that's dead. So you know, like if you're assume, if you're holding Ether right now, you're assuming that we can figure out scaling and we can figure out you know how to make all of these applications work on top of it, and that's super exciting. Yeah, it is. It is. And um, it's more
0: than just like the brand recognition and <laughs>
1: exactly like it's not it, it is a speculation, but it's not just a speculation on some pretty you know logo and everything no, I, mean, like I, that.
0: I I I think it's a speculation on future utility and use cases growing out of the community and the contributions that everyone who's part a participant. Uh, an active participant uh, makes right so it's kind of like speculation on the network effects of the people who um, are contributing and developing and in my opinion that's like pretty good bet (laughs) yeah well for for
1: most of the people (laughs) i won't name any names but yeah no i mean ethereum is just so far like you know this is like looping all the way back like we're you know there's just so many great developers on there and you know, really the cryptocurrency space is just so amazing because like we're we're not solving cryptocurrency problems. We're solving like computer science problems. Yeah. Like these yeah, yeah. you know, whenever you look at like ZK snarks and things like that, like even Ethereum in general, you're taking like really like theoretical cryptographic techniques and you're just mm-hmm. throwing them hardcore into production. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's true. Like it's, it, true, it, yeah. it's it's awesome. Um and <laughs> just cause now. All of these things that just hadn't been really tested or really, you know, who knew about cryptography 20 years ago? Like it was this really weird. A niche group. Of yeah. Applied mathematicians. Yeah, like Zuku was there, but then that was. <laughs> and then now now it's just this broad topic. You know, yeah, they're like, you know, tons of companies are looking for people with experience in cryptography. Right. It's just all it, it's great you know and i think that's what's going to move the whole nation forward or the whole ecosystem right. forward because now you have really smart people looking into things that we should have been looking into a long time ago yeah
0: yeah So, and with a completely different set of value systems and uh, with people who are able to achieve financial independence uh, through their uh, open source community contributions which is Kind of interesting. I don't think that something like uh, what Apple did in basically taking um, a Linux distribution, close sourcing it, creating an eco, a walled garden around it, um, or like Microsoft did the same thing. I don't think that it would be possible for a monolithic company to basically um, dominate this entire process, mainly because um, all of the smartest developers uh, work for someone else and they're making all sure. of their code free and open on principle, and the people who don't simply won't get the adoption and the interest. Um,
1: well, uh, you're gonna have to see which, 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 with what gets used. You know? That's true. Like Apple's, you know, one of the big things that really propelled like the iPhone in my mind was like app developers. So yeah. th- these were really just sort of independent developers. They weren't yeah. working for Apple, and they built sort of everything to be usable yeah on top of the iphone and you know same with the ecosystem here in ethereum you have like the core people building out ethereum but then you need sort of everyone else to build the actual useful things the reason that you would want to use ethereum or some mm-hmm. platform like that and so yeah i i, I it, it is just sort of different because the walled garden approach you know we're still trying to figure out how to monetize the whole ecosystems going forward yeah that's, you know, that's it, it's a really pretty big
0: thing there's like I think we're still in the tanker phase in which um, everything is so difficult to use that you have to have like a deep passion um, and yeah. technic- level of technical expertise that far outweighs um, like the standard comfort level of uh, a typical internet user um, which is okay I guess. I mean, like, um, it's most people aren't
1: comfortable trading derivatives. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you were saying, it's five people with ninety percent. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't need too much adoption. No, I. And you do. You don't want too much adoption. You know that i I always push back with people on this. Like. Right. I think, you. If you have too much adoption, like. Hmm then like that that was sort of why you got a, so many scams in 2018 was you were getting more right. adoption like no yeah. like let's keep it small and let's build out useful products right you know let's let's let people use it when it's ready to be used like right now bringing in people to speculate on crypto right. telling them to go to coinbase to buy more crypto is it doesn't really do much for the ecosystem right uh, it actually just increases prices and makes it harder for developers have to pay gas fees <laughs>
0: That's true. So. Yeah, it, it's like we're not ready for a massive influx of new transactions per second yet, um, and it's also the fact that like only very high value transactions are worth uh, putting on the public network currently, and this is going to change eventually. Open new use cases, like I think it's a self perpetuating sure. cycle. I think most blockchain products or use cases currently are building under the assumption that scalability will come. And they're yeah. building products under this assumption because um, currently the way it works is that uh, B2C uh, marketplaces, like the C, is very small still. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's all crypto enthusiasts, but um, it's still uh, been big enough to allow some kind of like experimentation with new financial models, new... Um, new products stable coins which were very interesting how you can actually represent a stable coin on a sure. market um also things like um decentralized financial applications has been a buzzword that i've seen resulting as uh, a result like the the hashtag that i've seen is DeFi, dope <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and there's a new, i've seen a new uh interest in this um Some people were arguing for things like uh, compound finance, um, but a lot of these work on the basis, on the same basis as make or die, which is basically like lending, right? And um, I don't think that's like very sustainable in the long term because, again, you are borrowing against a a fraction of the assets you already have. (laughs) It's like deflationary. Lending, yeah. it's the inverse of fractional reserve lending,
1: but um, the well, I think you can fix a lot of those. But you know, yeah, on the interest, I you're you're definitely seeing a lot of the interest there. But I I don't think that's like what's going to lead uh, as niche. far as user yeah. adoption. I mean, if you're you know, and maybe if you like live in New York City and on Wall Street, all your friends trade stocks. But you know, the the vast majority of us millennials, like we you're not too much into lending protocols in the real world uh, yeah. or, you know, right, right, financial right. applications. Most of these, you know, any anything, if you're looking at like, oh, a decentralized market making service, it's like, right. well, like how many people are possibly going to do that? Like there's not many market makers <laughs> in the real world. right? It's right. not a it's big true. issue. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, like you, the products that we're building now are more like B to C in the terms of the C is really small in this n- niche market and... You might be able to be successful with that niche market, but you're probably not going to be massively successful, like on a Facebook scale, because most of those people don't need these little derivatives products, or, you know, even when you talk, like, most of them seem to be like gambling products, and like prediction markets, or any other gambling websites, like, well, we have gambling websites, and every other country in the world has prediction markets, and they're not these revolutionary things that every single person (laughs) in the world uses. Uh, that's true so that's you true. know like what are the applications that we're going to build that you know and, and I really don't think it's going to be probably these decentralized applications I think it's just going to be you're going to have these decentralized say financial primitives that are going to be accessed by say the Facebooks or okay. uh, of the world because then you don't have like if you're talking about like we're going to build a Facebook on Ethereum or we're going to build one of these killer apps on Ethereum it's like you don't necessarily have to. It, it, right. it can just be a settlement layer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same with like Bitcoin. It can just be the settlement layer for things. And then this, the centralized apps. Like, you, you know, what's the piece? Because I think, you know, back to cryptocurrency, as censorship resistance, you really have to look at, okay, what piece needs to be censorship resistance? Right, yeah. And then that's the piece we're going to go do censorship resistance on. If you're decentralizing anything else it's probably costly and right, right. going to be too costly in the long run mm-hmm. to compete. So, you know, putting, I like, I disagree with a lot of people, that like games on the blockchain are going to be a thing. Right. There's, there's not a, you know, there, there's not a real big need for, you right. know, decentralized cus- custody, you know, like, if you yeah. wanted to be able to, like, pass value back and forth between different games, like, a company could just do that.
0: Yeah, I've still yet to see a real, like, value to the hash representing your crypto kitty on anything besides the crypto kitty platform especially when they trademarked the images (laughs) so um i mean i have seen like secondary markets selling hats for your crypto kitties but things like that but um the question becomes like for games if you have a marketplace for example let's uh how familiar are you with um uh, crypto zombies
1: I did the Solidity tutorial a while ago. Yeah,
0: but as you like understand the mechanism of their game that they explained. It's sure. a trading card game. Like, why would you need a digital representation of your virtual trading card outside of the game?
1: Right. Like, no like one's- Yeah, you
0: could trade it peer to peer. But then again, you could trade it on a centralized marketplace just as well.
1: Right. The government's not coming after your crypto kitties or uh, your crypto zombies. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, is it, it kind it's... of
0: like an excuse to experiment with the technology so that we push it forward? Like, That's don't get fine. me wrong. That's like, cool. I
1: love plasma.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and no, the, their it's tutorials it's are great. great. It <laughs> yeah, um, it's just that I personally don't play uh, trading card games.
1: Yeah, I think that might be why we're missing out. But I
0: mean, I collected Pokemon cards. I still have them anyone wants to buy them
1: crickets <laughs> true well you know like even in these trading you know if you can think like well if like a bunch of games all took the same currency then you could you know
0: create an ecosystem built ecos- around the same like network and
1: community so
0: that you don't own the community you only own the game right that's kind of cool
1: um, it, it's sort of cool but it could be done on a centralized server because you re- require a certain yeah you could do it you could to, do it with
0: policies that yeah. allow people to like own or access their uh, digital assets or at least download the digital representation
1: locally right? yeah I, I, just, like, I if it's if somebody if there aren't like really big costs to getting it set up right. in a regulatory sense or really big you know
0: that's why like coming back to that yeah. maybe it's not censorship resistance as much as it is provably fair mm-hmm. Because that guy who cheats in, like, Fortnite because he has some, like, modded out, like, weapon... uh, That's not how Fortnite works, but... (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, if it's provably fair for a gambling website... I invested in some uh, gambling uh, crypto because I thought the idea of having provably fair uh, online gambling uh, sites could be a much better security mechanism than the silly, like, regulated pulley machines that, like, if you really trust that with their money, there's something wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, like, again, regulation actually ensures that those machines have a guaranteed, even though very small payout, right? Like, they actually regulate your odds, and that has worked. And your odds of losing can't be less than... 30% in New York state. Sure. Right. So like that aspect is, um, it's been done with other things, but I think like the online gambling, for example, every time I watch people playing online poker, I'm like, you know, you could literally program the odds of poker and just have an AI machine run. Yep. Right. And it's been shown that AI performs better even against professional players. So what are you doing? Even yeah, if I the don't even if the game vote, is yeah. even if the game is fair, right? Like mm-hmm. what are you doing? <laughs> but I, I'm I'm the type of person that's never actually like gambled money because I've always equated gambling with attacks on people who don't know math. And uh, <laughs> Also, I had to do, like, so much discrete mathematics in college, and it's just, like, calculate the probability of this card of poker winning when this much of the
1: deck has been used and these cards are used. But, I'm you know, like, like I I like to point this out whenever people, you know, gambling is, to be fair, it's it's also trading cryptocurrencies, yeah. um, you yeah, know, absolutely. And I always... Especially whenever you try and talk people into like deri- trading derivatives and things like that. Yeah, like They equate the- it to gambling. Right. Well, the CFTC put out 70% of people who trade derivatives lose money. Like, it's, it's, awful awful odds yeah you know the, the vast majority yeah. of the gains go to the few really great professionals who are yeah. good at it Nassim Taleb <laughs> Nassim or you know the virtues or jump trading prop firms of the world and, and, and most or of, the
0: or the firms actually issuing the derivatives <laughs> yeah, like if,
1: if you're day trading derivatives you're probably going to lose money yeah uh, more money just than just, you invest and you know and same with trading crypto you know yeah. like especially now that more of the professionals have got on board yeah. if you're day trading crypto you're probably going to lose money yeah it's just you're it's, not it's just how proba- it is yeah well,
0: unless like you yeah. actually take the effort to uh, as you did like set up a bot actually measure your returns like well i mean and that was, then you lose it, your advantage
1: well yeah you, you you know like you have you measure and that the big you problem is it's like in, in 2017 you know like everyone thinks they're an expert trader because the market's going up you know, like they're they're all like, look at this. Like I was trading back and forth between Bitcoin, Ether, and Ripple, and I made right. a lot um, of money. And they feel like they're an amazing <laughs> trader. But I almost matched the price gains of Bitcoin, <laughs> <Yeah>. almost. <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's just a bad measurement. But yeah. you, know, you, you get it a lot of times, and and that's that's why you see like a lot of these you know self made crypto millionaires who right. give out, give out trading advice, and it's like no, like. You would just be so much better off just buying and holding or, you know, right. letting some moving average bot manage your money. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and that, that it's one of the biggest problems I see in crypto right now is that there's just, it's been said so many times, like it's just a lot of speculation and people mm-hmm. gambling. But I guess we love you guys because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are own money and other people. That's true. Yeah. And, I
0: mean, I personally approach my investments uh, to cryptocurrency more similar to my approach to gambling. I only bet what I can lose. Um, Sure. (laughs) And, I mean, like, lose completely. It's basically money down on the blackjack table that is not taking away from a mortgage that I don't have. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So... um, the The mentality of crypto is very similar to gambling, but at the same time, it's like an open-ended option in which you are betting on a non-measurable thing by holding, right. um, but also holding in and of itself is an <laughs> taking a position on the current
1: value and like, yeah, it, it can be and good, be- but you know, as long as you're in it almost, it's weird to say for the right reasons yeah okay. yeah
0: also yeah I, I actually was thinking about this but like mainly because the prices are down like 95 percent. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fact that uh buying and holding when you know it's overvalued already is actually a bad idea regardless of your um uh, principles yeah especially if like and mainly because it's it's supposed to be a speculative decision it's and you should kind of split your principles from financial decisions just like gambling right like you feel like you're on a hot streak so you just like double down and that's actually the exact opposite of what you should do uh, according to the probability of the payouts right um well yeah, I mean so that's the weird thing. It's Blockchain isn't pr- just an investment, it's a principle too. Cuz yeah. you're you're betting on the future direction of how you want society to look, but you're doing it with a speculative investment. Yeah, it's not an investment, but <laughs> 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 If it's not an investment, if it's speculation, and it's not just speculation if you do it for a principled reason. So you have these like basic contradictions in like
1: well i think i wish we would see more centralized management of their token prices like almost like from the foundation level you know like so thinking right. like
0: oh like uh, like uh what's it called um what actual currencies do yes. in order to protect the short-term volatility versus yeah
1: start protecting your currency as a community you know like if you see you know if, if the price is running up on ethereum so for instance like you know back whenever you had hit like the peaks, like. Ethereum was really sort of unusable. It was so expensive in terms of gas prices at right. certain times. And, you know, you, you don't want that high of a token price. It, it makes it right. really not usable whenever <laughs> you're actually building. So, you know, you saw the price go up, but then right. n- not many more applic. There are more applications, but not enough to justify this price increase. Right, right. So same with Bitcoin. You know, if it gets to a point where it's unusable as a community you want to say like guys it's overvalued like right. we're we're going to sell as a community or the holders are going to sell and oh, then they did <laughs> well they did i mean like the insiders who've been through like multiple cycles um- well then yeah, i think you need to be vocal you need to sell you need to like you know basically like
0: but most of the people are trying to liquidate their positions at the top anyways, yeah. so they don't say anything until more people buy in. So they're actually doing the exact opposite, of because community incentives are the
1: exact opposite of individual incentives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, and then same with, like, I always point back to, like, what was it? Uh, when was the the currency crisis where, I think it was like the 1907, where JP Morgan stepped in? Uh, so, you know, the, the US dollar was starting to, to crash, and, you yeah. know, he... He stepped in and just basically acted as the Federal Reserve and backed the U.S. dollar. He said, like, we're yeah. not letting it fall. We're, you know, yeah. we're, we're opening the vault doors and we're going to make good on everything. Right. And, like, if you had, like, basically, like, if your token price is falling that fast, like, yeah. you know, the foundation steps in and we're like, no, like we're, we're yeah. managing this price. I mean, the
0: foundation itself shouldn't centrally coordinate this, but it should have, like, a monetary policy. Some people, yeah, Bitcoin, like a, Bitcoin can never do this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> unless we dig up Satoshi's uh, keys, Satoshi right, should which would be this. great. Like, think about it. If you have an actual, like, uh, but then again, that is literally the antithesis of why a lot of people in Bitcoin are literally in this because yeah. they want the pure Austrian economics in which there is no central bank and the free fluctuation of the markets. Really well, it's almost accurate. like
1: you need like an OPEC for cryptocurrency. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where you can, you know, you you would need like all. Of of the the major stakeholders to get into a room together and be like listen guys like this is negatively affecting our token price right you know it's going too high too fast like let's step in and stop this now so we can get some use cases the ethereum
0: foundation could have um liquidated all of its reserves although i don't even know if they are very transparent on whether or not they liquidate reserves i don't know if they liquidate reserves i think they pay in ether
1: no they they pay sometimes in dollars we got our grant in dollars Oh, okay. So they they told yeah.
0: That's us. that's really interesting. I wonder.
1: If... Well, they they asked us which one we wanted. So this was like March of 2018. I'm very happy I chose US dollars. Right. Well, it was like so, and I was like, they're like, you can choose ether, and we can get that to you today, or you can choose US dollars, then it'll be a month. Oh. And I was like, I I'm still going with dollars, guys. Well, that's like a
0: costless um, option, isn't it? Well, <laughs> like, yeah. You basically well, get to lock in the price of ether right. in US dollars a month from now, which is. <laughs> Know to be a good bet I, yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah well you know and i it, i think they realize like you know my expenses are in u.s dollars and uh i think coinbase would not appreciate me trying to sell a hundred thousand dollars worth of ether um although you probably could have yeah especially since it came from the ethereum
0: foundation I think right, they, right i think it would have been fine i think uh... um I mean, that was before they bought Neutrino or whatever. So they probably sure. would have <laughs> hired, like, chain analysis or someone who they didn't reveal to, like, track down the origin of those tokens first. But, yeah, I think you would have been fine. Um, but that's actually really interesting because I didn't know that the Ethereum Foundation also had cash reserves. Because the well, I don't know if they it's, necessarily it's have It's only reserves. about...
1: They could have just sold it and sent it to me. That's true
0: and there's also the aspect that it was uh it's about 700 million dollars that the ethereum foundation has i don't know there i mean there's some guesses that should be online but um it's probably not enough to actually have like the equivalent of a foreign exchange reserve
1: um for well it's a a lot of it but that's sort of the one problem with you know being too transparent with how much you hold you know, because like if you're anytime you're like, we're going to sell until the price stays here, we're going to buy until the price stays here, you know, it doesn't work if people can see how much you have. It only works whenever they assume that you have enough. I mean, um, it works for the Federal Reserve. Well, they do have enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> they have as much as they need. Um, but, you know, that was like, that was what the old model for bank runs was. You know, yeah. like you would just, people would be tr- turning in their US dollars to get gold and you would basically run out of gold. Well the best strategy would be just to open your doors and show the gold and be like we have plenty and you know like just just pray that nobody actually counts. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, you you sort of give this facade that there's plenty, so then people are like, Oh, they have plenty. But you know, as soon as you say like Please stop, we don't have enough, you know, then it's like everyone runs even faster to the bank. Right, Um, right. Yeah, yeah, that's true.
0: And that's gonna you know and I think you But I think there if that's kind of it's kind of weird that you would think that it is in the incentive of the cryptocurrency community to actually um, as a community sell because there are too many people coming in for the platform to maintain usability yeah. and because of, for the future uh, desirability of like reducing volatility, you have to coordinate people to act against their direct self- interest which is to hold while the price is going up exponentially (laughs) right um that's it that's really interesting and that's that would be so difficult to do in terms of like everything that i know about the ethereum foundation
1: well even (laughs) even not ethereum (laughs) foundation but other projects as well right
0: right you know like you, I mean, you, Tron might be able to, because it's basically all controlled by one marketer. And- well, I
1: mean, and you see, well, you see a lot of those cryptocurrencies where you have like a, you know, 5% circulating supply. Uh, Ripple. Uh, well, Ripple or, you know, like I you know Cardano had a very, very small circulating supply. Right. Most of it was just held by some investors. It's like, if you're going to do that, like to make it like long-term successful, like you have to keep it within a range. You can't. Right, let the price go way out of control, and then all of your investors slowly start liquidating to pay for things, you right. know. And now your price just slowly declines forever, and that's what you sort of saw with a lot of ICOs. Um, yeah, you know, you didn't yeah, really have I that guess. token management. the The best, the best scenario for probably managing your token price is you want to sort of start out low, tell people your tokens, you know, shit, don't buy it. Like keep the price low until you can actually build out some usability, and then manage it sort of in a decentralized way in the fact that you don't actually have control over it, but you, you try and keep it within a range as it goes up. Um,
0: None of these sound like viable or good ideas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, like
0: actually managing uh, token supply. I'm just thinking from like the Bitcoin camp, like they would freak the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, <what? laughs> and, and the Ethereum camp, if they actually exercised more control over the uh, supply of outstanding tokens, they'd be regulated by the SEC. But like all, all this like coordination and this aspect of like actually having a token and making it more like a security, although it would be infinitely desirable from like uh, an investor standpoint, um, from a like, from the other considerations, it would basically bring the hammer of Thor on them. <laughs>
1: like From being a security. Right. Well, that's why I said It's interesting
0: would... that Maker can get away with uh, die because of the way it set up its uh, company, the way that it's running on Ethereum, the way that um, it derives its value from another thing that has value, so that it's able to actually provide price security on top of something that's highly volatile, and it just... It's kind of interesting because maybe you can, as an individual, achieve that kind of stability if the market's mature enough to have products like your derivatives. Well, you can. Right? I mean, so well, it's like.
1: But then the problem with Maker, like you were saying before, is that right. you're ridiculously over collateralized. Yeah. So, I, I mean. mean.
0: Th- yeah. So you basically. Yeah. <laughs> <them. laughs> yeah. And then we're arguing for like a U.S. dollar coin, and J.P.
1: Morgan already did that. So damn it! <laughs> yeah, you know it's so it, it's okay, but then at the same point, managing it is is difficult. So, yeah. Like over time, you know, even maker, you know, decentralized governance is sort of probably maybe like the next topic, but you you, it it hasn't been proven to work yet. That's true. Uh, you know, you we have hopes that it will, but you know, just That's basically. True. And putting things up to token votes has right now yielded very little in terms of people actually voting unless they're forced to. And um, even then, you basically are putting things up to a pure democratic vote, which there's...
0: Even voting systems can be easily undermined. Um, yeah, Blockchain voting is not... I, I uh, it doesn't bo- work. It's not civil resistant. It's not like... It has plenty of problems. I mean, like the best example is um, the type of coordination schemes that happened for EOS. Sure. Um, Also the type of um, for voting, like even blockchain voting systems for like national elections have had problems. Recently, there was a Swiss uh, electronic voting system that they had a cryptographic backdoor. That was found True. by security researchers. Yeah. Right. So, like, and then we're talking about like a system in which you have money attached to it, and then you have very perverse incentives for uh, similar things. Um, and the level of complexity of being able to do on chain governance is really complicated. But um, I kind of agree with you. Like, there is no, there's not enough uh, governance to be able to exercise financial policy.
1: Well, I just think that it's wrong on these platforms because, you know, even, especially like with Bitcoin, let's say you had some built-in mechanism for voting, like what people wanted to do rather than just, you know, signaling by the miners or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can still hard fork. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, if you uh, disagree. If you disagree, you can still hard fork. And it's, it's ultimately... Bitcoin ABC. <laughs> right. Well, it comes down to, you know, and I and I love that. Method, you right. know, let's just just create new ones and compete. Like, you don't need to have these built-in voting mechanisms because, you know, voting mechanisms can be gamed, and you probably don't want to trust the results of these votes probably anyway. You know, yeah. it, it's especially maybe if it's you know unanimous. That's it's one way to find, but then yeah. the hard fork would be two. Um, it, yeah. It's not really an issue. Like I, I think a lot of these people placing you know hope in the. You know these democratic principles you know we we sort of haven't figured out governance in the real world so That's i don't true. know if we're going to necessarily figure it out for highly technical cryptographic principles anytime soon
0: yeah especially when we don't even know what the system that <laughs> the final system looks like definitely so. <laughs> Um, yeah so I think we're going to wrap this conversation up I think every conversation is like well this would work theoretically if governance works right (laughs) (laughs) Um, but at the same time I feel like the lack of governance within Ethereum is interesting because you make of the community and the ecosystem what you will um, and everyone is right because there is no wrong answer it's like how is Ethereum governed it's like I don't know. I don't think the people governing it, quote unquote, know either. And
1: (laughs) it's just security through complexity. It's uh,
0: yeah, I I was actually just obscurity. uh, (laughs) The lack of governance is a governance policy in and of itself. And, um, it's worked thus far. The community has grown a lot, um, it is starting to stabilize now because of uh, crypto winter but i think there's going to be a stabilization at least there's going to be a, some kind of institutionalization that's my that's my uh, immediate guess, and it's basically because if we keep relying heavily on very strong individual personalities, people are going to burn out. They're going to have to drop out of the community, or they're just going to drop the ball on very key important things just by simply like choosing not to be on Twitter one day, right? And we yeah. can't have a community collapse just because someone didn't read their alerts, and. Um, eventually i think that's going to grow into a more formalized uh, institutional model in which there's going to be processes and we'll, we'll all move
1: from our 20s to our 30s and <laughs> slowly grow up uh, yeah as as a space together <laughs> and
0: and our uh arguments on twitter are going to be what yes. rules the world <laughs>
1: no it's, it's 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 exciting you know i think um i think the space is slowly growing up you know i just hope that we keep keep kind of our core principles intact as we do so yeah you know you you want to make sure that you know what were the reasons that we built these cryptocurrencies in the first place and let's let's keep them and not sell out to to institutions who maybe want to start getting their foot in the door and I yeah. want to start making money off of it you know i that's, it, i want to it, start making money off of it. <laughs> right, man, it it's the big thing that sort of drew everyone to cryptocurrency in the first place right. it was this cool revolutionary thing it was yeah. you know like it, it wasn't something that your mom did so it was more fun you know yeah, you you, yeah. you were this cool edgy person because you were into cryptocurrency and it was this really <laughs> cool technology so that you could talk about uh you know let's let's sort of keep it that way until it, it's it's ready to be used on its own. Let's not like sell out to to get there faster.
0: Yeah, I don't think there is a good way to sell out yet. <laughs> if sure. there was, someone would have tried. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, let, let me correct that. If there was, someone has tried, yes. and that's just like a, one of the number of sellout ICOs that no one respects, and then the community yes. just didn't do it. <laughs> but I think there's um, a lot of exploration. I think there's. Uh, I think there's also a need to clarify what the principles are, um, because even hearkening back, like there is a fundamental divide between uh, free market libertarian like gold bugs and like decentralized Web3.
1: like Well, sure. Like the radical markets crowd. Right. Um, and, you know,
0: and it's kind of cool that those are it's extreme left and it's extreme right and they both collaborate within the uh, Ethereum ecosystem I think um, the radical markets crowd is kind of like shunned in the uh, Bitcoin space because they're not Austrian enough in their uh, free market ideology but in the Ethereum space there's plenty of room and it's kind of
1: weird (laughs) it's super weird at conferences and things like that but I think the the big thing is is i like, uh, you the sort morals of agree on certain same. things yeah. you know like, like you agree like whenever you, whatever you're writing like code is law right. so like listen even if you have this super crappy idea that the government's going to steal 100% of people's money and distribute right. it right. like uh that's fine as long as you put in code and it's sort of <laughs> transparent right, 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 like right 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 cool give it a try like we respect yeah. that um it's like there is a part that even
0: extreme libertarians would agree would be the transparency in which the government then right. spends the money <laughs> that they seized from everyone right like so there's always well, and it's, it's sort of ground. the
1: option to move in there you know right. so like if if you have a country where you're a, you steal everyone's money but you can yeah. choose to live there or not like you mean the mormon church <laughs> yeah, i guess that's okay from a libertarian perspective like as right. long as you go in and out
0: yeah um it's interesting and i i actually really that's kind of what drew, drew me in um sure. because it's one of the few places that still experiments with uh economic thought and Definitely. we don't pretend like we've figured it out um but we're also not willing to um accept what is um and it's not clearly defined and there's no like centralizing unifying ethos
1: right yeah and but that's exciting you know you have so many different opinions and people building things so it'll be cool to see who wins
0: yeah well. yeah cool
1: um thank you for your time thanks for your perspective
0: and yeah, this uh, is great yeah my pleasure let's do it again soon all right
1: see you